Hey, this is Luke Baker, and you're listening to the Tea Talks Podcast. I gather people in my living room and have my friends give short talks on anything they find interesting. We sip on tea, eat Pop-Tarts, and cultivate a community of curiosity. These are those talks recorded live in my living room with my friends. Hope you enjoy. The Goose Quill put an end to talk. It abolished mystery. It gave architecture and towns. It brought roads and armies, bureaucracy. It was the basic metaphor with which the cycle of civilization began. So a couple years ago, I was on the back patio of my local church for a social night. I was just trying to meet people since this church was new for me, and I started talking with this young woman, a couple years younger than me, who mentioned how she was finishing up school at the Portfolio Center and was about to start working at an Atlanta nonprofit called New Story. We talked about creative work, she showed me some of her portfolio, and I left the event thinking this church had interesting people doing meaningful work. Now, two years later, after the world conspired to shrink itself, as it tends to do, we still go to the same church, and we also happen to work together, side by side, well, these days screen by screen, on the brand team and news story. Katie is the designer there, making all of my writing look much better than it actually is, and she constantly practices first-class thoughtfulness. Her perspective on creativity and compassion call me into more as a human being, and I truly believe these next 20 minutes will do the same for you. So, please prepare to have your curiosity churned with this insightful talk by Katie Watford. So for the past couple of weeks since he asked me to do this, I've been really racking my brain of like, okay, I probably have something interesting to say. You know, I, I feel like I've done something interesting in my life. I, I moved to Paris one time and um, I went to grad school for uh, design at Portfolio Center here in town. And from there have had cool opportunities like redesigning the Book of Common Prayer and uh, working at News Story, which I was vastly unqualified for at the time that I got the job. And, you know, among other things, I also share a dog with someone who is not my husband or a relative or an ex, but that man right there who is a uh, longtime mentor and friend. So, you know, lots of random interesting topics that I could potentially speak from. But when it all came down to it, I just thought, you know, these are all things that I can identify with, but they didn't feel like my, you know, my identity, my, it didn't feel like they were mine to share. And so um, I decided instead of, you know, trying to grasp at straws and, you know, be the designer who talks about design, I really wanted to kind of take a look under that hood of like, okay, what's in that? Of like, why can't I figure out what it is I want to say? And um, so, yeah, I mean, I essentially just identified this question of what are all of those like outlying identifiers in my life and why is it so hard for me to figure out what I want to say amidst all of these external influences. Like, what is it that I have uniquely to share? And so, ironically, to answer that question, I turned to someone who is not myself. His name is Marshall McLuhan, and I was introduced to Marshall, Mr. McLuhan, uh, back in, during design school a couple years ago by Hank over here. And so Marshall McLuhan is 
a Canadian philosopher who really was thriving back in the 50s and 60s. Um, he was an English professor and was really uh, prolific in the fields of technology and media and kind of human, how humans communicate. And so he actually, among other things, predicted the invention of the internet about 30 years before it actually happened. So he taught me a thing or two about kind of media and, and external influences and all these things that um, seemed relevant, but I just needed to dive deeper into. And so what I'm holding here is this book called The Medium is the Massage. And for podcast listeners, it is a tiny red and black book that is full of obvious information that you've never thought about. And it will truly blow your mind. So um, to start out, I want to talk about what he means when he says the word medium. Medium or media, it all kind of comes from the same place. And what that means is essentially anything that has been invented by man, any kind of new technology is referred to as media. And what he says is that all media are extensions of the human function, whether that's physically or kind of part of our psyche. So to give you a few examples, um, a fork, for instance, is an extension of our hands or our clothes are an extension of our skin or potentially our psyche, depending on how you look at it, because we often dress how we want to be perceived. And then the last example I'll give is that the Internet is an extension of our central nervous system, kind of like all of those different things firing and connecting all at once. And so Marshall McLuhan likes to say that um, we are defined more by the nature of the things that we use to communicate, so the media we use to communicate, than the actual content of that communication. And basically what that means is over a period of time, you are more influenced by the fact that you, you know, watch the news every night than you are by the news that you're watching. And so I want to walk us through three kind of historical shifts in kind of our cognitive functioning as humans that sort of arrived us at, we are to, at where we are today. And then I'll tie that into kind of why I was lost as far as what to talk about tonight. Um, so first I need us to imagine a world where alphabet does not exist like written word in any way doesn't exist so this is pre-alphabetic society and basically what their main organ for sensory was was their ear so they lived in this basically very audible acoustic space in time where everything was kind of boundless and directionless and just kind of in the dark of their mind and in kind of a world of emotion where they just lived off their primal intuition, really. And speech and sound was their, you know, chart of that bog. So they could only organize that based on speaking to each other. So basically, in order to function as people, in order to communicate, in order to learn anything, they literally had to speak to each other and they had to interact. So by nature, communicating and learning was very, very social. Um, hearing at that time was believing, which is super interesting to think about. If you think through like 
examples in the New Testament where Jesus or one of the disciples is like, go over there and tell them this. And they all are like, oh, a thousand people believed. And you're like, wow, would that happen today? Maybe, maybe not, maybe not. But that's just an example of, you know, how that kind of thinking worked. And so then over about a 3000 year shift, the phonetic alphabet, our first shift comes into the scene. And what that did was turn us from an ear dominant society into an eye dominant society because the alphabet is the, or, you know, phonetic alphabets, there are billions of alphabets, but the alphabet turned us into somebody who needs our eyes to comprehend what it is we're seeing. The alphabet is the first medium that requires that. And so we know that letters and words have no inherent meaning, meaning other than, you know, what we give them, what we all agree on that they mean. You know, the, word, the letters C-O-W don't mean anything other than cow, but they mean that because we can all picture what that means in our heads, not because the letters actually have anything to do with the, the noun. Um, and basically that's because we all function on this pattern, this linear pattern of the letters going on together like beads on a string almost. And so as we got used to the alphabet, we got used to perceiving the world through very visual and spatial terms. Um, the line, that linear function became kind of the order of life. And really all knowledge and rationale became that same way too. Like once we got used to the alphabet, we kind of got used to seeing everything visually. And so now if we can't follow what somebody is saying, we'll stop them and say, I'm not following you. And that essentially just means, you know, the path that you're building me isn't clear enough. It's not straight enough. Um, so, you know, from then on out, now that we are such visual creatures, the fact that much of human consciousness is really not visual or linear is kind of lost on us. And we feel at this point like seeing is believing. And so, you know, that at that point, most people are still not literate. And so it really became a matter of, um, you know, the a few people being able to make sense of the world and kind of putting the world in order based on that visual pattern that they were seeing everywhere. And there's actually a quote that I want to read out of this book that kind of demonstrates it better than I ever could, but it goes like this. The goose quill put an end to talk. It abolished mystery. It gave architecture and towns. It brought roads and armies, bureaucracy. It was the basic metaphor with which the cycle of civilization began. The step from the dark of the mind into the light of the mind. The hand that filled the parchment page built a city. So I love the way that demonstrates that like before we had this kind of bog and now we can make sense of it somehow. We can make a straight path forward. And so then from there, Movable type, our second shift, was invented. Um, basically, movable type led to the printing press, which led to the portable book as the first repeatable commodity. And what that looks like is that, you know, suddenly the masses, all of you, instead of having to speak to each other to learn anything, all of you can get a copy of this book 
and then go into your respective corners of the world to you know, digest this and to absorb this knowledge. And so what was happening was that learning and communication become much more, became much more removed. It became much more individualistic because people just thought, okay, I can learn this on my own and I can even challenge what it's saying. So instead of taking for granted that, you know, whatever you're telling me was, was just fact, they would go and research it on their own. And that's where the enlightenment period came from because people just suddenly decided to think, wait, is the earth actually flat? Like, no, I'm gonna investigate that on my own. And so they did. And, and it led to a world that was much more educated, but much more um, fragmented and you know, more uninvolved because thought and action kind of became separate from there. And then about 500 years after that, um, we shifted into the new electronic age. And this is the age that we know all about, but and that's because we're still in it. But um, the biggest difference in this age from the last two is that we are no longer just using our eyes or our ears in, in the world that we live in. We are pretty much using all of our senses all at once. Um, and if we're not, then we're bored and we go back to something that will stimulate us, AKA our phones. Um, and so the electric aids shifted us kind of back into that multi-sensory experience, the sort of like, oh, boundless, like, I don't know. There's so much out there, so much to explore kind of experience that um, we had, you know, with our primitive ancestors. And so, you know, as we watch TV or something like that, we're using all of our senses. In fact, whenever I watch my husband or my friend watch or play video games, I am completely overwhelmed at the amount of sensory experience that they are going through, like in a way that I can't even process it. Um, but we're kind of all that way, right? Like we can't stick ourselves or much less our kids in a classroom and expect them to you know, put their noses in a textbook and learn anything. We've kind of had to learn or we've had to transition from um, instruction to discovery. And to some extent, that's because we're kind of being spoon fed so much information that we we're almost back to a point where we feel like we don't have to cipher through it. We just take it for granted that it's true again. Um, and most of all, electric circuitry has just reconnected us in a super, super profound way. Um, you know, because we are so connected, it's essentially like a simultaneous constant dialogue on a global scale, which means that if we were to leave that cycle, it feels very unnatural. If I were to leave my phone at my house when I went to work, it would feel very strange. And that's, that's kind of what that is that's that's the force that's acting on us at this point as a civilization and that really leads me to my original question which was you know why was it so hard for me to get up here and decide you know what it was that was mine to offer um, what are these external forces that are acting so strongly on my life that i can't decipher my own voice and mr mcluhan's answer would be that all media work us over completely. 
And it says it on the back of this little book I'm holding. And what that means is that media is so pervasive in our lives that it leaves not an inch of us untouched or unaffected. It's almost like that whirlpool that we talked about that's just like you just get sucked in and it's so hard to to pull yourself out. I was thinking about this earlier and I just thought like, wow, if somebody gave me a million dollars or five million dollars right now and was like, hey, give me your phone and your computer and you can't go buy a new one ever again. Like, that is a really hard decision. You know, it's like, honestly, you'd probably have to say no, which is crazy. But, um, you know, you've heard the expression, he wears his heart on his sleeve, but we wear our minds in our phones, which is just crazy. Um, And so... Hank always likes to tell his students that the answer to any question lies within the question itself. And so if my question was concerned with, you know, how much is this external media thing affecting me, then the answer must be that I need to kind of adjust my relationship with that media. And so I need to, you know, learn to think for myself in a world that is kind of telling me that I don't have to. And I want y'all to know that I'm not even being pessimistic about like where the world is going or whatever, because I think it's amazing that we are so connected and it's led to unprecedented amounts of empathy and opportunity and knowledge and social involvement and world change that is made up of individuals. But what I do want to remind us all of is that Each of you, each of us, has our own voices and callings that only we can offer the world. And it just takes intentionality of shifting, sifting through all of that um, to make sure that we aren't burying our voices in a phone. So two things I want to leave y'all with that how I've found success in when I'm in a healthy space. Clearly the last two weeks of me racking my brain have not been this way, but things I'm returning to. Um, the first is to practice countercultural behaviors. So things like patience and conversations at the dinner table with no phones and you know leaving my phone at, at home maybe when I go to work, which is whew, scary. Um, and you know, self-reflection and silence, things like that. And what's kind of ironic is that we've had this resurgence of meditation and um, intermittent fasting and all of those things that have happened over the last few years. And I think that's because we suddenly realize how overwhelmed we are. And it's funny because God has been telling us or gently instructing us for eons now that we need those things. And so I think we can take him at his word on that, that we need that and we need that space from the world. And the second thing I want to tell y'all is just use your creativity. And I know that half of you are rolling your eyes going, "Uh, I'm not a creative person. And I just want to refute that outright because every single one of us has something amazing to offer this world. And every single one of us wants to leave the world a little differently than we found it. And I have found no better way than when I'm 
being creative just honestly just for myself just to put things out into the world that I can find my voice that way so I would challenge all just surprise yourselves follow that little voice inside your head that says you want to write that story or you want to start that company or you want to learn that instrument or just keep a journal anything but I want you to know that just like your handwriting is different from everybody else's, what comes out of you is going to be solely and completely yours. And then maybe the next time somebody asks you to speak on their podcast, you'll know exactly what to say. Thank you. Thanks so much for that mind-bending or sense-shifting talk, Katie. And thank you all for listening to another episode of the Tea Talks podcast. We're one day closer to reuniting in my living room with some tea and talks. But until then, stay curious, stay safe, and stay home.